Hello and welcome to The Woman Who. I'm Clara Ampho. And in this series, I'll be bringing you the remarkable stories of some of the world's most inspirational women. From pioneers of fashion, literature and television to the boldest activists, athletes and campaigners. These are the tales of the fearless. Women who have defied convention, broken boundaries and pushed the limits of what's possible. I'll be taking a deep dive into their lives, reliving their struggles and setbacks, their loves and losses, and how they overcame every obstacle in their path to achieve unimaginable success. These women are the real deal. This is the story of the woman who planted 30 million trees, Nobel laureate, environmentalist, democracy advocate, and founder of the Greenbelt Movement, Wangari Mathai. When Wangari Mathai was a young girl in Nyeri, rural Kenya in the 1940s, her mother would often send her to fetch firewood with one strict instruction. Don't pick any dry wood out of the fig tree or even around it. Wangari asked her why. Because that's a tree of God, her mother explained. We don't use it, we don't cut it, we don't burn it. As a child, Wangari used to love playing in a fresh spring with a stream near the huge wild fig tree near their home, observing as frog eggs transformed into tadpoles. It was a place of wonder, peace and natural beauty. But little did she know the fig tree was also a crucial part of the local ecosystem holding the soil together to reduce erosion and trapping pockets of water to preserve the stream. Kenya was a British colony then. White settlers owned the best land and ran the farms and had rights that native Kenyans did not. For the British Empire, Kenya was a place to make money and settlers cleared native habitats to grow cash crops like tea and coffee. They burned down natural forests and introduced foreign species like pine on commercial tree plantations, setting off a transformation in the environment that Wangari would fight against for the rest of her life. Many years later, when Wangari returned to her home as an adult and a professional biologist, she noticed that once clear rivers were filled with silt and topsoil, which had run off from those commercial farms. A new owner of the land where her beloved fig tree once stood had decided to cut it down and grow tea. As a result, the stream it had protected dried up and nothing could grow there anymore. When Gari observed, it was as if the land rejected anything but the fig tree itself. She would always remember the lessons of the fig tree and what a balanced natural environment could provide those who lived on it. Though she grew up in a poor family of farmers, sleeping in a mud hut without running water or electricity, she never went hungry. That green and fertile land would be destroyed as it was transformed into a factory for international profit. Though she would go on to reach dizzying heights of international acclaim and influence, Wangari never lost her connection with the soil or the lessons it held for a healthier Kenya and better world. 
Wangari's life would have taken a very different turn had it not been for her older brother, Enderitu. It was he who asked Wangari's beloved mother one day, how come Wangari doesn't go to school like the rest of us? Though some girls were educated in those days, it was not common. But Wangari's mother considered the question and said, there's no reason why not. Wangari never found out how her mother had raised the fees, but off she went to primary school, full of hope and excitement. She thrived at school and won herself a place in a Catholic boarding school and then a high school. It was the 1950s and the movement to end British rule in Kenya, then known as the Mau Mau Rebellion, was underway. The British fought back with brutality, rounding up nearly a million Kenyans in concentration camps, including women and children, and briefly, Wangari herself. Despite the horrors unfolding around her, Wangari was mostly insulated from the troubles and was able to complete her schooling. She was fortunate to be just graduating high school at the time of the so-called Kennedy Airlift, a programme spearheaded by then-Senator John F. Kennedy to fly bright African students to study at American universities. From rural Kenya, Wangari found herself on the long journey by plane and then bus to the town of Atchison, Kansas, where she would study biology at Mount St. Scholastica College. Stopping in New York on the way to Kansas, Wangari took her first trip in a skyscraper elevator. She later remembered the bewildering experience. I was convinced my stomach and heart would not arrive at the same time as the rest of me. Wangari had a wonderful time at university, once again excelling academically and making many friends. Wangari's love of biology led her to a master's programme at the University of Pittsburgh in 1964 and then sent her back home for the first time in years to work at the University of Nairobi. She took up a post in the veterinary school and registered her PhD. In 1971, Wangari would become the first woman anywhere in East or Central Africa to earn a doctorate. In 1969, she married Mwangi Mathai, an aspiring politician. In the following years, Wangari became a mother of three, a senior lecturer and eventually the chair of her department, as well as a politician's wife. In the latter role, she was under pressure to show that despite her prestigious academic job, she was still subservient to her husband, a good traditional wife. She took up positions on various councils and committees, including the National Council of Women of Kenya. Through this work, she began to connect the ways that environmental degradation were leading to poverty and malnutrition. Wondering how the problems of deforestation could be reversed, she had a thought, why not plant trees? Reintroducing Kenya's lost native trees could provide vital firewood for cooking, fruitful nutrition, and would help revitalize the soil and watersheds across the country. The Green Belt Movement was born, a project that would pay women across Kenya to plant trees and nurture them to maturity. This was merely a side project for the very busy Wangari. For many years, as she juggled her children, her academic career, and the commitments of a politician's wife. 
It wasn't until her life fell apart around her that Wangari would funnel her full energy into the Greenbelt movement, transforming it into something that would change the world. After a bitter public divorce from her husband, she was briefly jailed for criticising the divorce judge and then pushed out of her academic job. Jobless and penniless, the Greenbelt movement was all she had left. She threw herself into its development and soon her work caught the eye of all important international donors. As attention to the movement grew, Wangari never stopped work alongside the women to plant trees. Though she was by then an educated woman and sometimes faced the ridicule of her elite peers for her willingness to get her hands dirty. Wangari explained her philosophy. Education, if it means anything, should not take people away from the land, but instill in them even more respect for it because educated people are in a position to understand what is being lost. Wangari oversaw the Greenbelt movement as it grew, in her words, from a tree planting program to the one that planted ideas as well. With thousands of women running tree nurseries across the country and international support, the movement became a vehicle for civic education as well as tree planting. The Kenyan government remained wary of Wangari's influence and her criticism of the government's role in selling off public lands to the timber industry and wealthy donors and destroying natural biodiversity. As long as the Greenbelt movement was perceived as a few women raising seedlings, we didn't matter to the government, Wangari later explained. But as soon as we began to explain how trees disappear and why it is important for citizens to stand up for their rights, whether environmental, women's or human, senior officials in government and members of parliament began to take notice. In the 80s and 90s, Kenya's one-party rule had become a dictatorship. It sought to curtail organisations like Wangari's, resurrecting old British colonial law to limit how many people could gather in one place without governmental approval. Again and again, Wangari and her supporters faced arrest, intimidation and threats to their life for their pro-democracy work. When Gari faced down the police or the armed gangs they conspired with as she tried to protect national forests from government land grabs, advocate for the release of political prisoners and fight for a more democratic Kenya. Finally, in 2002, Kenya held multi-party elections with a united opposition and elected a new president from a new political party for the first time in 40 years. Wangari herself was elected to parliament, representing the constituency from where she was born. She was elected with 98% of the vote. She later wrote, The people of the region that nurtured me had put their hopes and trust in me, as I had in them. In 2004, Wangari would receive the ultimate recognition for her tireless and courageous work. In the back of a car on the way to a meeting one day, she received a phone call from the Norwegian ambassador who told her that she had been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The news, she wrote, hit me like a thunderbolt. Tears streamed down her eyes as she reflected on her long journey to that moment. She celebrated the news the best way she knew how, 
by planting a tree. Until her death in 2011, Wangari had never lost her passion for protecting the environment, not only in Kenya, but in the world. As she wrote in her memoir, those of us who witness the degraded state of the environment and the suffering that comes of it cannot afford to be complacent. We continue to be restless. If we carry the burden, we are driven to action. We cannot tire or give up. Thankfully for the world, she never did. The Woman Who podcast series has been brought to you by Fennec, the UK's department store of distinction since 1882. Tune in each week to uncover the story of a new inspirational woman and head to fennec.co.uk for more information. If you've been enjoying Fennec's stories of inspiring women, please don't forget to subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast app. Why not share it too, as it helps other people to hear about it. The Woman Who is a Radio Wolfgang production, written by Hannah Jewell and read by me, Clara Antho. The producer is Cass Denton. Sound design is by Eli Block and the executive producer is Ellie DiMartino. Martino.